Sure. Let's give a few minutes for people to join, and we'll um, and we'll pretty much proceed with <laughs> with the Twitter space. Uh, how are okay. you feeling tonight? Fantastic. Yeah, I'm doing good. Doing good. It's getting a little bit late on my end, but I I am feeling good. Awesome. How about yourself? Yeah, it's around eleven o'clock. It is. It is like eleven forty. 46 46 now in singapore so um okay. yeah uh, all right let's uh let's make sure that we we did i think a, good, a great job tweeting and retweeting everyone so um so i hope we'll we'll get to have a good turnout today um all right let's see let's see People are joining. I think uh, it's uh, experimental hours for us as well because uh, we usually do it on like uh, Thursdays around 7 p.m. Uh, GMT plus eight. So um, this hour is a bit uh, new to us. So we'll see uh, if, if a lot of people will show up or not. But we will proceed and have a great time anyway. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, I think I, w- I would recommend that if you're, uh, by the way, if uh, did, uh Labs Twitter account can join as well. That would be, I think, great for everyone. It's going to be showing up in more on more feeds. Hmm. I see. Will that does that have to be on um, iPhone on, on a good question? I think for if if they join from um, from desktop, that might also still show that they're in in, in the Twitter yeah, space. That should show. Yeah. Hold on. Let me see. There you go. We can probably do better than that. (laughs) One second. Anyway, while we are setting up and uh, people are joining the space, I'll just gonna do like a quick reminder and quick intro of the uh, house rules and uh, this the flow of today's event. So we we try to do this almost every week, and we kind of talk to different founders and uh, HR managers at, at companies um, in crypto, Web three, blockchain uh, space. And um, for the first about like 40 minutes or so, we'll, I'll, I'll be talking to Richard and asking him different questions about VIT um, and, and his journey and their team and culture and uh, how they hire um, and what are the tools they have and what are the current positions that they have. And then uh, after that, we'll have uh, some time for Q&A in the end. So make sure to prepare your questions in advance. Uh, it can be questions towards Richard and, and VIT team and uh, it can be questions towards, towards me or like just general um, questions around like working in in crypto web three space. Um, Richard, are you ready, or do you need a few more minutes? Yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, so um, I'll let Richard introduce himself. He is a, a CEO and co-founder of uh, Byte Labs. But uh, yeah, go ahead with <laughs> with the with the kind of basically what 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 you've been working on, and tell us a bit more about yourself and Byte uh, Labs. Sure, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Raman. So Crypto Jobs List has been doing a great job of recruiting for many different projects, and Beat Labs is honored to be one of them. So my name is Richard, and I am one of the co-founders of Beat Labs. 
We are the inventor of the VEAT protocol and we are a zero fee layer one. So a smart contract platform that does not charge fees for transactions. Our main app is a decentralized exchange. It's an order book DEX. So as you know, there are many DEXs out there, but there are very few that are order book that has a user experience that mirror centralized exchanges, but without all the burdens and security problems with centralized exchanges. So in summary, our killer app is a order book DEX and our main protocol is a zero fee layer one. And in terms of background, I came from traditional finance. I was on Wall Street for 10 years and then became an entrepreneur. Amazing. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about the bid and how, how exactly it works. So like, uh, I mean, <laughs> we usually ask a lot of like culture and company questions, but I'll ask them eventually. But uh, right now I'm sort yeah. of curious about how the tech actually works and how do you achieve like, yeah, uh, having order book based decks is is not so common. So I'm just very curious, like, how do you achieve that? Do you have how many nodes do you run? Uh, is does the does the decks run on like one specific node or um, yeah? Tell tell me more about the architecture of it. Yeah, so I think maybe I go back a little bit and start talking about the zero fee nature. Yep. So the zero fee is made possible with a locking model. So when you transact with the, on the VEAT network, the more VEAT tokens you lock, the more TPS you will get. And so everyone gets started with the base amount of transaction quota. But in order to transact in a more frequent manner, for example, if you want to do high-frequency trading on our DEX, then you need to lock up more of your VEAT tokens. And so the more you lock, the more transaction quota you get. But after the transaction goes through, you can sell your tokens. There's no expenditure of any of your tokens. There's no concept of gas at all. So one other reason why we're able to achieve this is the high scalability throughput provided by our DAG ledger and the delegated proof of stake consensus algorithm. So I, I can also talk a little bit about the order book decentralized exchange. The reason why that many decentralized exchanges on these other chains, such as Ethereum, BSC, are AMMs, they only allow taking they only allow taking liquidity off of the top of the book, mostly because the order book decentralized exchange just has a lot more going on and puts a lot more stress on the chain. So only highly performant chains are able to are able to carry the performance required of an order book DEX. So I would say the order book DEX is a living, breathing example of stress test on our V chain on a daily basis. And so our understanding right now is that there, is a, there are more order book DEXs being rolled out, but in terms of order book DEXs that work on a DAG, we are the only one as far as I know. There's a few other ones. There's one on Solana. There's one, I think, on layer two Polygon. But we've been around since 2019, battle tested. We have, uh, besides the, the, the superb user experience, we also have a unique token model on the decentralized exchange where we allow token holders to earn from the proceeds of the exchange. 
And um, the we also have a cross-chain feature on the DEX that allows anyone permissionlessly to create a gateway that essentially mints a wrap token for any non-VEAT native coins. And that will allow trading of coins on the VEAT VTEX exchange in a decentralized manner. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. One of the questions that I had that you, you pretty much answered uh, a few minutes ago is uh, around like, how do you prevent uh, spamming of transactions uh, uh, while you have like zero transaction fees. And uh, like what, you, as you explained that, you know, users have to like lock in tokens to increase their TPS. Uh, I think that's a, like a brilliant approach. Have you guys considered any other approaches? Yeah, there's different ways of doing this. So um, when people lock, well, I mean, the thing we've considered is mostly just token locking. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you don't want your users to spend gas, you still need some some kind of speed bump, some kind of throttling mechanism. If it truly is, has absolutely no responsibility and absolutely there's no, no, mechanism to prevent anyone from abusing the chain the chain can be in a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. and so i think token locking would probably be the most effective but i think a variant of this could be that instead of giving more throughput for locking more transactions for locking more tokens you can get priority Mm -hmm. and so let's say the miners or the validators in our case would essentially process transactions sooner if there are more tokens locked from the owner of a certain, from the sender of a certain transaction. Mm, I see. So it's actually, it's not, it's not equal throughput for everyone. I'm sorry, the priority is not equal for everyone. It's like the more, the more tokens you have, in uh, that the more case, tokens you stay. Yes. Uh, I understand. In the alternative design, yeah. But that's not how we do it. Right now, okay. we, right, right now we're not giving priority. Uh, we're not assigning a priority. I mean, there could be a combined approach too. So you can do higher throughput and higher priority. Mm-hmm. Currently, we just focus on the throughput. Sounds good. Um, how, how do you, I'm just I'm getting very uh, curious in terms of like the is of it is uh, how do you make sure that uh, without prioritizing, uh, with, without prioritizing people with more tokens, how do you make sure that you still throttle the, the, those that are, reaching the limit? Is it you just like don't process their transaction or is it get, getting delayed or? Oh, so essentially the transactions, the, th- the way the throughput works is that you essentially can only send a certain number of transactions per second. That's just mm-hmm. your quota. And then that quota increases when you lock more of your tokens. Mm-hmm. And in a scenario where the network is severely congested, then the amount of quota you need to, the amount of tokens you need to lock in order to get a certain, the fixed amount, given amount of TPS will go up. Mm -hmm. So when the network is not so severely uh, heavily trafficked, the amount of tokens you need to lock is X. But when the, the network is getting busier and busier, the amount of tokens you need to log is, mm-hmm. let's say, 2x or 10x. Mm-hmm. So now, this is still free in the sense that you can sell your tokens afterwards. Um, but, but, this is the, but there is a mechanism in place to make sure people don't abuse the system. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question earlier about what, how these 
transactions are being restricted. It's literally just the transactions per second that you are allowed, given the the amount of tokens you lock and the, the how congested the network is at the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, and, and and when you mentioned you cannot, like you can sell tokens afterwards, but I guess you have certain checks to prevent someone like flush loading a bunch of. Uh, I'm not sure if flush loading is even possible on 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 Vit uh, chain, but uh, like uh, I wonder yeah, you can't do some... flash loans. You cannot. You cannot do flash okay. loans because we're a we're asynchronous. Uh -huh. So flash loans work on Ethereum because it's a transaction that essentially can be unrolled if you are unable to pay back the transaction, pay back the loan at the end of your transaction. A flash loan will only, a, trans, a flash loan transaction will only succeed when at the very end of the transaction, the loan can be repaid. Mm -hmm. We can't do that in V because we, we're, we're not synchronous. So it's impossible to know if the loan will be repaid at the very beginning of the transaction. So, in V, for better or worse, we do not allow flash loaning. Cool. Yeah, indeed. I, I do definitely see the benefits of it. Like, you know, the, the uh, certain certain scenarios cannot work out. Certain negative scenarios cannot, cannot work out. Certain attacks would, would not work. Okay, that's interesting. And, uh, like, again, I'll ask a few more questions about like, the tech and the chain, and then we'll proceed about more about the team and how yeah, you guys work. Yeah, it kind work. of mirrors the real <laughs> world. I mean, yeah. um, I guess in the real world, is there really a scenario where someone will be able to loan you money to do certain things and it is just determined deterministic from the very beginning that you will definitely be able to return the, the loan and if not the loan will not be as lend out i have a hard mm -hmm. time coming up with a real world scenario that mirrors this yeah it, I don't i'm think not saying that flash loans are bad i'm just saying that i think our design very much in this case happens to mirror what the real world is like we didn't anticipate mirror, uh, flat flash loans when we set out to do the design, but it just so happened that our design actually prevents flash loans. Cool. Um, and another question that I had is like, how, how and who can build on top of the chain? Is it only by building bridges or is there like some uh, built-in smart contract uh, system that uh, developers can uh, Yes, yeah, everyone in? can. Yes, there's a layer one. So, so we're a smart contract platform. So anyone can build on Vite. The programming language, currently we support two. One is Solidity, the other is Solidity++. We modified our compiler to take both language, programs in both languages compiled to the same virtual machine. It's a lot of work to get this to be in the current state. It used to be just for Solidity++, but we recently bit the bullet and decided to modify our compiler to be able to, to, to get to the bytecode that can run on a virtual machine for Solidity contracts. So the main difference between Solidity and Solidity++ is that the latter is asynchronous. So when you make a function call, a sync, when, when, you do a, when you do synchronous function calls, what happens is you wait for the function call to return a result before you execute your next line of code. And in the Web2 programming, there's many uses of asynchronous programming where let's say you don't want to, there's no reason to wait for something to come back to you. Certain types of work can already begin. For instance, when you're waiting for the user to enter a username, 
or let's say when you're using, you're waiting for a process, an irrelevant process to finish. You, you gen, like in multi-threaded programming, you don't need to wait for those things to finish before proceeding. You just need to make sure that you have checks in place to avoid race condition and so on. And Solidity++ essentially have provided the capability for you to do just, do just that. So when you invoke a function, the result isn't being returned from that function. Instead, it's message-driven. Message so the caller will essentially um, obtain the result of the called function when the called function finishes executing. And the calling function can go ahead and execute other things while waiting. So it's essentially another way to put it is another as a way of parallelization. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. yes, you can you can write smart contracts on our platform. There's no bridge required. And and bridges when when you let people write bridges, uh, are they also written in Solidity or they can be written in any any language? Right? We have like as the case for multiple for multiple languages. Uh, sorry, can you repeat your question? For for bridges, are they they also written in Solidity or uh, bridges like well, well, you you mentioned like you have uh, like community grants and uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where yeah, yeah, yeah. anyone can, okay. can, can can build right. a bridge so, to wrap uh, like a, an external token uh, and represent it on on a V chain. Uh, is that uh, is that a, like yeah. does it, how does it work? So, so we very much believe in the multi-chain multi future, if not the multi-chain present. It's not going to be mm -hmm. a one-chain take-all or one-chain take-most situation. So we want to build the infrastructure to allow, to allow token holders in one ecosystem to move their assets to another chain to participate in another ecosystem. We believe in cross-chain NFTs, cross-chain DEXs, cross-chain DeFi. And so one of our products is also a bridge protocol. We call it VBridge. And so the way VBridge works is that there's a V there's going to be a smart contract on the V chain and that will be written in Solidity Plus Plus. And uh, so as I mentioned, this is one of our products. We essentially have three products. We have the chain, which is the layer one protocol, VEAT. We have a DEX, which is VTEX, the order book, decentralized exchange, mirroring centralized exchanges in performance without all the security burdens. And number three product is the bridge. We started doing the bridge because we wanted to facilitate truly trustless cross-chain trading on our DEX. Currently, the DEX is, when it facilitates cross-chain trading, it does it through these custodial gateways. And so that's not truly decentralized yet. Our DEX currently only handles decentralized trading for native tokens. For things like BTC, ETH, we require some kind of gateway. So we want to replace that with trustless bridges. And that's when the third, third product comes into being. Uh, and yes, there are grants available now for all kinds of things. If you want to build the first AMM on Beat, uh, we have an open bounty so open task that you can just submit this as an idea and work on it. If you want to do an open C on V, you're welcome to, to take advantage of the zero fee infrastructure. If you want to 
make, let's say, a new web extension wallet. We already have quite a few, and we already have, well, nothing is complete yet, but we have a few going. But if you want to make yet another one, we highly welcome that effort. If you want to make, let's say, a, a game or a social, um, what do you call it, a social media, decentralized social media like a BitCloud on Beat, you're welcome to as well. So we have all the, uh, if you go to Gitcoin and look, look for Beat, you'll see Open Bounty on there. Mm-hmm. And yes, in terms of working with the bridge, we also have a few bounties happening. We want someone to build out a bridge explorer. So essentially a block explorer, but you can use it to look at the transactions, cross-chain transactions in detail. So yeah. Uh, yes, so definitely do check us out. We have a number of bounties available. Obviously we're also hiring. Yeah. Which, I, yeah. which I'm Ooh. hoping to talk about. <laughs> we will get we will get to this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was just generally very very interested about in, in the tech part of uh, of, of your protocol okay. and the chain. So yeah, uh, okay. let's get let's get to the team and culture part. Uh, yeah, t- yeah, tell us like I mean this is a lot of products and all of them are uh, very very technical and like they are definitely not the like we, I mean everyone in 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 uh, crypto web three sees a lot of the copycats and every, yet yet another protocol yet another. You know, DeFi solution yet, but on a different chain. But you guys have a lot of innovation going on that is very different and very, very new compared to many other things that getting <laughs> way too much unreasonable buzz. I would say, how do you how do you manage to like what's what's your team structure right now? And when you were getting started? Oh, so currently we have sixteen people worldwide full time at V Labs. And so uh, we have software architects, block, full-stack full blockchain developers, product managers, designers, operational, uh, op- operational team, marketers, social media uh, strategists, and so on. And then if you include our community team, then that go that easily goes up to 30, 35 people. And we also have a very healthy builder community. So that would be builders on Vite. We call it builder. And so we, we mostly met these individuals through hackathons where they propose an idea and they work on it. And subsequently the project becomes a full-fledged application on Vite. And so right now we have a number of DAOs and a number of gateways on Vtex. And the DAOs and gateways are essentially all adding value to the Vt ecosystem. The DAOs, they are building their own cultural groups. They also provide utility by making applications that can that make it easy to use Vt. For example, one of the DAOs, Vitamin Coin DAOs, they made a tip bot so you can tip people on Twitter for free because we have the zero fee nature and zero fee feature. And in terms of our gateways, they are responsible for listing new coins to be traded on VTEX. Uh, I think we're seeing between three and five new coins being added every month right now, all thanks to these community gateways. 
Um, yes. So I hope that answers your question about the team structure. Yeah, amazing. Uh, uh, I'll dive a bit more in depth. So like in 2018, where you were guys getting started, uh, it was, I suppose, you and your co-founders and uh, were you bootstrapping for some time or did you right away go for fundraising and, um, and started hiring? Uh, how were your early days? Oh, yes. So the team was obviously small at the beginning. We did fundraise and then through a private sale and then we actually built a team up. And so... It's been four years now, and the team, uh, you know, we went through, a, since we got started, we pretty much were in the bear market of the cycle until, say, 2021. Actually, yeah, middle of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so we the team has been through a lot. Um, and we've also been changing the team makeup from time to time because of various reasons. But... I'm very happy with the makeup of the team right now. I think we have a healthy number of developers and operational team members. Um, so I think I would say the, the culture that we, cultural principles we adhere to, there are three. First one is craftsmanship. So um, there, there's, we, we basically want, we voluntarily to be in, this project and everyone has choices. If we want to do something, then we try to do it right. And we try to be, try to add some value to this space instead of just, instead of just doing some kind of, uh, following some kind of me too philosophy. Um, and we try to under promise over deliver, which has also been sort of frustrating for the community at times because we don't like to make a lot of announcements beforehand like announcement of an announcement of an announcement we don't do that <laughs> yeah I, I think i think we need to start taking more pride in our work however because we've actually done a lot our order book decks was live since 2019 but then i was just in eat denver three months ago and no one's heard of it and so i think that i think it's there's a healthy balance between keeping your head down, doing things, and, and making a noise. The way we are approaching EVM compatibility is instead of forking the ETH chain and making it interoperable with the V chain, we decided to fine-tune our compiler or to do an overhaul on our compiler so Solidity can be interpreted into bytecode executable by our VM. That's very hard work. It's... I think that really speaks to true craftsmanship. And we decided to take that hard path because we didn't, I just think it's a little disingenuous to fork ETH and then do some cross-bridging stuff between your own chain and ETH chain and claim that you are now EVM compatible. So that would be number one, craftsmanship. Um, Number two is um, use your team. So teamwork. The basic idea is that we, I think it's quite obvious that a team of a team of very cohesive culture with people helping each other out, complementing each other's skills, is much much more powerful and much more enjoyable work experience than a team that doesn't do that or a team that emphasizes some kind of star culture. 
or a team where there's not much consensus going on, right? Or a team full of just mercenaries and not missionaries. So the so we we do try to do quite a, a few things to foster that culture. Um, I, I would say that, so we're fully distributed, first of all. We have a small office in some satellite, in some spaces where people come together, but um, most of the time, and this has been ex- accelerated by COVID, we're fully decentralized. Um, so we have daily standups for uh, for our certain part of our team. And we do, um, uh, we try to do some, do get togethers. We're sponsoring the uh, Austin uh, conference, the consensus conference in Austin in June. So a lot of the team members will finally get to meet each other. And hopefully there will be no surprises when people see me <laughs> in person. And, but the, the point is, um, I think we're very cordial with, with each other. Um, we try to be encouraging to each other and we have, um, we use Slack for internal communication. Um, I, I think maybe the, aside from trying to build this culture, there's also a bit of gatekeeping. So we try to, when we bring people in, we also make sure that they are courteous, they are reasonable and, um, and uh, and they're logical. So, so um, which is also why it's been so hard to hire, to be honest, because mm-hmm. there are many people with skills, but but not everyone fits. So I would say that's number two. And number three, actually, I sort of mentioned it is the uh, under promising, over delivering part. So uh, maybe meticulousness is the right word. I sort of lumped it, lumped that into craftsmanship a little bit. Um, but I think the, the one part that slight, needs slightly mod- slight modification from before is we can be a little bit less ho- holding ourselves back from talking about our accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Sorry, that's very long-winded, but I basically <laughs> talked a little bit about our the makeup of our team, the history of our team, and the the way we run our team through culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so I'm just trying to understand, like, how do you how do you actually manage to screen for all these uh, values and, and, and the qualities that you seek in your in your uh, uh, teammates? Uh, do you have any like specific favorite questions, or what's the structure of the of the interview process for you? Hmm. Our interview process is actually pretty standard. So for devs, we screen them, do an initial screen. There are some questions on crypto jobs list that everyone needs to answer. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so those questions pretty much, uh, maybe let's say 10% people get through. And then after that, uh, well, mostly because these questions actually require serious thinking um, and I don't think you can just easily Google the answers. And, you know, oftentimes you can also tell if someone has put in serious thought into them. And once in a while, you see some very thoughtful answers come through and you're just very impressed and just want to talk to to those people right away. But yes, that's the initial thing. And then after that, you just do the interview. uh, And generally it's one or two team members interviewing that person. If we like that person, we ask that person, I'm talking about devs, we get that person to undertake a small project, take home project. And 
after they send the project back to us, the team evaluates and decides whether to move forward. So with the operation side, it's roughly the same, except it's not going to be a assignment. It's not going to be a dev assignment. It's going to be some kind of operational task. But sometimes we have also skipped the operational task if we see this person as having the relevant experience or being a very clear fit. But I don't know if there's anything special about our questions. I think there's a bit of pattern matching going on. I'm heavily involved in doing the screening process. So I think I can sort of tell what the what the DNA of the, the other person is in terms of their experience. Um, I mean, so if you if I were to just mechanically try to match a certain person's attribute with the cultural elements I just talked about, mm-hmm. I mean, I think craftsmanship implies seriousness and the not over-promising also implies professionalism and accountability. And then the, uh, the teamwork part, I think that also, that probably comes through during the uh, interview process and the communication. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would say that generally it's been pretty challenging to find mm-hmm. people that fit all these different um, areas. Because the other thing is that we're looking for people long-term. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for, for teams that are just looking for someone to help launch a project, you know, NFT as a service, if you will, then that's yeah. a different process, right? But for us, we're building many things. We, we need people with proven ability to execute complex tasks while maintaining a cordial relationship mm-hmm. with many stakeholders, including teammates. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, so that in and of itself already kind of um, waters down the list quite a bit. Yeah, I actually just right now went to your uh, to VitLab's uh, company page on Crypto Jobs List, and I looked at your currently open positions and looked at, mm-hmm. at the at the interview questions for for engineers, and they're definitely. <laughs> it's gonna take me a few minutes, or probably maybe an, an hour, to think them through and uh, like kind of stop, take a pause, and okay, this is like serious. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So simply describe two common security flaws in coding uh, smart uh, security. Sorry, in coding solidity contracts. That's that. That's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Why is there a need for memory pooling? Uh, how should one implement that's the, it? That's for mm-hmm. the software architect job. Yeah. So the bar is pretty high there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really like it. I think it's like you guys are not kidding around. Uh, a lot of. Um, a lot of jobs and a lot of interview questions that I'm seeing, they're very like, um, why us? Or like very generic general questions and not specific enough. I feel they're not really profiling for, for the right skills or they're not, they're not hard <laughs> enough. Uh, so I'm quite impressed. Um, is there any favorite like specific, maybe like culture fit question? Um, uh, I've heard uh, some of the, our companies we, we talked to, they really like asking about like hardships uh, or like kind of behavior question, questions like that. Uh, do you have any, any like favorite questions perhaps that are like not profiling for skills, but more for like personality and for culture? Hmm, it's a good question. 
Well, to be honest, I don't think we have a set question that we like to ask. A lot of times it's just, if you just ask someone about their experience and ask them to go deep, you can learn a lot from that process if you pay attention. So, for example, if I were to ask you, Raman, about how you started Crypto Jobs List and the process of doing this and what has been the impact for bear market and bull market, you know, what, what are the distractions and when you are hiring people, what you're looking for and so on. If I drill really deep, I can learn a lot about this, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that, to be honest, it's... um. It's been hard to it's been hard to identify individuals that are able to go deep on their own experience and be able to speak eloquently, logically, consistently. And you know, so I'd be lucky to be able to find someone that just does that. So it's not like everyone is able to tell a great story and now I have to get these gotcha questions for them or some kind of very specific cultural questions. Mm-hmm. I think even just the basics is not that easy. And I think for some coiners, they might just say, we're still early, which is the answer to everything, right? <laughs> but, but the truth is, I just think that, I, I just think that this space, frankly speaking, does attract a certain type. And you know, and we generally look for people that are more grounded, more solid. So just by simple asking simple questions of telling, of getting down to the bottom of their experience, um, that already helps. And I think one other thing that's actually pretty important is asking why they're interested in beat in particular. And I think that's another very important filter because a lot of times people apply online, they do so indiscriminately. They might do it just to try their luck. And maybe mm-hmm. they watch some video of the target protocol, say five minutes before the interview. And that obviously that will show itself. And, um, and then once in a while you come across somebody that asks very insightful questions. They are not Web3 natives and they admit as such right? But they just bring a different perspective because they have really done their diligence. They're truly interested in the zero fee nature and the order book decks. So when you see that, then, you know, you try to hold on to those people. So yeah, so the long winded answer, but I think the short answer is we don't really have a behavioral question. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't know, to be honest with you, I, I, I believe in the future, there will be no need to ask these behavioral questions for two reasons. One is maybe a neural link, you know, everyone, you can already see the other person, like literally completely what that person's thought process is, what he or she has been through and what their intentions are, you know, without even verbally communicating. But of course that's maybe let's say 50 years down the road, but in the more immediate future, everyone will have digital footprints that essentially tells you what their portfolio is, the things that have done, it's verifiable. The, the social media posts that have made that tell you what this person believes in and to the extent that you care about those types of 
to the extent that you can filter down to the aspects of their life that you're interested in. You can see their the, the breadcrumbs they've left in cyberspace. And then, you know, if you're a developer, you can have GitHub, right? So I think GitHub, really, there needs to be another service, which is a suggestion for your website, is mm-hmm. to better filter developers for non-dev hiring managers. Mm. So, you know, I think right now, GitHub does a crude job of showing, okay, this person knows Go, and he has committed 4,000 lines of code, and he has been developing 12 months in a year. I think these are all good stats, but can we go one level deeper? The, the fact that he, has for, he or she has forked someone's code, how much original, originality was there? And this thing that they deployed, is there, let's say, a demo attached to it? And something that was submitted, how, how can you see how many people have actually used it? I don't think the last part is actually very easy to do. But the point is, I think there needs to be another layer between GitHub and the recruiters. I think that would really help us out. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, if you're a designer, obviously, you can look at your portfolio. If you're an operating person, there should be ways to find out what you have done, too. Medium articles, long Reddit posts, long Twitter threads, even interviews like this one, for instance. So... Essentially, there needs to be like a people search engine or a people information collator where all your digital presence is presented in one place and that can be searched, indexed, and discovered asynchronously when the interviewee is asleep or not currently interviewing. And the interview question would just be negotiations. So Mm -hmm. anyway... um, I don't even remember what question I was answering for. No, no, no. Just describing the uh, vision for the future of recruiting. Yeah. I, I extrapolate I, from my own experience. <laughs> I definitely enjoy these thoughts and uh, like brainstorming and thinking about like what the future should be. It's like, so we can build that future and hopefully a better future and hopefully it works better. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of GitHub, I definitely see a lot of people, a lot of devs uh, just cloning a bunch of repositories pinning them on their profile and hoping for the best. They're hoping to trick uh, some of the non-technical uh, headhunters or non-technical uh, hiring managers, which kind of results in a lot of waste of time. And uh, I mean, for those who know what they're looking for, for like technical founders and technical people who are hiring, it's just like annoying. It's like, it feels like a waste of time. I definitely seen a lot of GitHub profiles where you just like, you know, 10 cloned repositories with a few lines of code changed. Uh, so it's either GitHub or someone else can definitely do a better job at like showing what's their regional work, what, what are these numbers. Um, and uh, definitely one of the tips that I have for developers here who have like a GitHub profile, GitHub has a setting to display private contributions. Uh, it will not yeah. disclose what are those contributions are, but it will show them on your green grid of contributions. Uh, and it kind of shows that Okay, this person actually been like shipping code every single day, um, hopefully without Sundays to avoid burnout. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, I think that's one of the settings that a lot of people is disabled by default for some reason. Uh, maybe like for for good reasons for privacy. But I definitely would recommend everyone uh, who is looking for jobs or or not even looking for jobs just to like enable 
uh, your private contributions to be displayed on your GitHub profile um, in terms of like you know the quantity. Again, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't reveal any private information now. It just shows that you're actually shipping every day if you are. Um, for other professions, I definitely would agree with you that I think more people need to blog and just write their thoughts if if they're non technical if they're not shipping code. Um, have, do you have any like any other tips? For people to, especially for non-technical folks out there, uh, how what was the best way for them to display uh, their experience and their kind of interest in the space? Yeah, actually, I think one of my team members mentioned this to me. It's a great idea. People should do videos of themselves. So mm. the, yeah, I think your website could totally facilitate this. Both the recruiter and the potential, the candidate, they can do videos for each other. The recruiter will talk about the vision of their project, the people they're looking for, the culture they stand for. And, you know, a picture is really worth a thousand words and a video is worth like 10,000 pictures. <laughs> you can tell a lot by just watching someone speak. And same goes for the candidates. In fact, we're gonna start doing that. We're gonna start requiring Maybe for non-devs, for devs, not necessarily, but for non-devs, we're going to require videos. Actually, we used to do that. So we'll, we'll restart that. Mm -hmm. and, and that actually saves a lot of time. Hmm. And, um, and the other thing is when you force someone to speak, you also force them to think through as to why they want this job and to demonstrate that they've done their research, right? And when someone's recording a video, uh, hopefully the candidates can tell if they're BSing or they're saying something substantive. So, yeah, I think that, that would be a good idea. And for people that want to stand out, just make videos. That would really make you stand out. Mm. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would love to see actually more videos in the space. Uh, interestingly enough, it's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, I've, I've seen a few platforms that just like focus on video interviewing and video-based like recruiting and i'm still very surprised how is that not mainstream people um i mean i don't know maybe maybe people just feel very awkward uh, about video but i guess that was pre-covid and now more and more people are comfortable recording themselves and uh just being on video uh but um yeah i think like i am aware of a few platforms that kind of require like or enable people to submit videos and just do recording right uh, in the browser tab instead of needing to like record and upload to YouTube. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of surprised why these platforms are not mainstream. But I definitely, uh, I'll, I'll think of what are, what are the ways that we can integrate that and make that process a bit easier. I mean, even right now, you can probably ask as what as part of one of the interview questions to just drop a YouTube link with a with the you know person speaking on the video uh, and i think that will even work right away um and uh we'll see if we can um yeah maybe I mean, standardize that process. don't want to do that if you have to make a video for every company you're applying to yeah but i kind of feel that if you want to stand out that's the way to do it yep and then companies should be requiring the applicants to answer very specific questions about their companies in the video that would mm -hmm. really save a lot of time if someone's not doesn't even bother to make a five minute video explaining why they want to apply to a certain company, then I mean, maybe the interview would be a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting thoughts. I'm happy, happy to brainstorm them. 
I guess outside of this uh, Twitter space and uh, more. Uh, I think one of the questions that I had, uh, I, I have a feeling I know the answer, but uh, I might be wrong. Uh, one of the popular questions uh, in, in crypto Web3 is uh, kind of the role of anons and uh, being an anonymous contributor to a project. Uh, do you have any anons working with Vit Labs? Um, what's your take? Do you think that they have a place within the organizational community uh, now or in the future? Yes, anons definitely have a place. That's for sure. And this goes for all different roles. Unless it's something that requires physical presence, mm -hmm. then I think anons are totally fine. And I mean, in the future, you're going to have robots working for you and you don't require robots to do KYC. So same goes here, right? I mean, you're already seeing lots of influencers that are highly anonymous. I mean, Satoshi is a great example. And then in the crypto influencer space, you have Hasu. And, you know, like you've got the people that started SushiSwap. So the fact that founders can be can be anon, I don't see why teammates of those projects can't be anon either. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, why do people require KYC? Maybe it's because because of the social pressure, really. Because if you once you KYC, you sort of have these degrees of connections to them in the social graph. And the implication is if you rug somebody as a team member, they're going to find a way to get to you through the social graph, right? So they can probably find out where you live even, or they can harass your parents or, in, or, or affect your future job application. Actually, that's the most important thing because the identity kind of goes with you. Whereas if you have an, a, a non-identity, then you, know, you can just make up a new identity as you go and you scan people every each way but i think that the way to filter for anons is you just look for digital breadcrumbs right if you're hasu you have a hundred thousand followers and nobody knows who you are but you still have a reputation to protect you do have assets i know hasu has been investing in different projects he has revealed as such on twitter mm -hmm. i mean why do people accept well i guess it's different because people are accepting money from that but he is also um but but I think that there's ways to credentialize somebody that you don't have identity for. Hasu has also written articles. He's recorded podcasts. And he has, yeah, and he, he was also an investor, angel, in a lot of different projects. So he can build up his credibility that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think they definitely have a place. And I think there might be other infrastructure to be built up to better support those types of candidates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the Hasso example that it, that it gave is a bit more like high profile case, but I think majority of uh, anons in the space there, it's, it's a bit harder, I feel like not, not everyone has a major following or it's sometimes maybe, actually I, I would not even say that it's that hard to build a Twitter following as an anon. You just need to you know tweet quality stuff and 
Um, I think you have fewer risks because you're also like don't identify with your own identity and kind of I mean, can share your thoughts. Problem, mm-hmm. The biggest problem with the nonce is non-verifiability of their credentials, actually. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can claim to be X and I've done Y and then I live in Z and mm-hmm. so on. But mm-hmm. if I don't do KYC, then people can't verify those things. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think that if you have digital breadcrumbs all over the place and it's easy to verify but -hmm. i agree with you if i you know receive a if i get application from somebody that just created their github and was on twitter five minutes ago then no right so that definitely won't work you have to be a credentialized or not you need to be a a robot with proven experiences Mm -hmm. cool yeah, going back to 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 the to the, uh, what are the positions that you are hiring for right now? Whom are you looking for the most? So right now we have four positions available. One of them actually just got filled, but we're happy to hire yet another person to help out in that very role. So so we still have four roles open. So software architect, uh, full stack blockchain developer, Dex strategy lead and business operations lead. The software, let's go through each one. The software architect is someone that works on our client, our compiler, our consensus, and generally all the backend things. So this person might also work on tooling and um, like developer docs, for example, documentation. Mm -hmm. The full stack blockchain engineer tends to focus more on things that users can see and utilize. So the reason why we're looking for full stack is just because it's easier that way. We don't want to have a huge team where some someone just people just specialize in different parts of the stack and they have to work with each other. But I mean it is my hope, maybe it's naive, to find people that are well versed uh, up and down the stack. And you could have specialization, but you're not against being able to develop on uh, other parts of the stack as well. Um, And an example project of a developer, of a full stack blockchain developer is to, for example, to make our web extension wallet. So those are developer roles. And in terms of the Oh, and then maybe I'll just provide a portrait, an ideal portrait for each one. If someone has experience working at the Ethereum Foundation, it's a core dev. I think that'd be pretty cool for the software architect position. And for someone that has worked in some of these dApps, let's say someone has been a major contributor to Uniswap or something, then that would be cool for the full stack software developer position. We've had more success hiring from our community, however, because these are folks that have discovered Beat, found the tech interesting, wanted to build something on it. So there's a lot less conversion or persuasion we have to do. It's just a matter of checking their capabilities. And and that has worked pretty well for us. A lot of the folks that we hired actually found out about us through Hackathon. That's the dev side. On the operating side, the tech strategy lead will help grow our decks. We'll listen to customer feedback, recommend features, 
oversee implementation with the engineers and product managers and be basically the face of the DEX. The business operations lead person takes a, wears a few hats, a chief of staff, a project coordinator, and a Swiss army knife. So essentially all the different operational tasks involved, this person will need to have a good handle on them. And we're a small team and we tend, intend to remain that way. The space is moving at unbelievable speed. So there's no shortage of things to do. So we want the business operations lead person to, to be able to hustle, to be able to lead as well as to follow, to be able to delegate as well as to execute. And so, yeah, so these are the four positions we have right now. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, I just pinned uh, the uh, link to your, uh, to Vice Labs uh, company page as well. Um, so people can apply if they're currently in the space, if someone's interested, but yeah, go ahead and check out the currently open positions. Um, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, is there any question before we go to Q&A? Uh, is there any question that maybe like um, I forgot to ask you or you would like me to ask that, but I didn't yet? Um, but I think we covered a lot of ground. So. Yeah, I think your questions were uh, pretty comprehensive. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty chatty person. So I probably said <laughs> way more than I should. Yeah, so I mean, I'm happy to jump into Q&A. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I think you, you said a lot of uh, things that I, I really enjoyed. And I would like to, like, go in depth even more. <laughs> but I think uh, not everyone might appreciate that. Because yep. it's going to, I mean, and, and, and it's getting late for you as well. So I want to be respectful of your time as well. <laughs> um, I, would, I would definitely want to learn more about, like, Solidity++. And... Uh, and some of you are the philosophies on and thoughts on like the hiring process and uh, but yeah uh, okay one one quick reminder before we go to a Q and A um, is that we we have a Pope uh, token to redeem Pope NFT so just go ahead to uh, Labs uh, company page uh, on Crypto Jobsist and uh, you will see a digit uh, make sure to first familiarize yourself with the job openings uh, and opportunities check them out apply that's kind of the main. Uh, the, the main reason why you should be going there, and it's a nice benefit, uh, you can also claim um, uh, your POP token for this event. Um, um, be sure to follow both VitLabs on Twitter and, and CryptoJobsList, and uh, we'll send you uh, a, a claiming link to Pope. And Richard, don't worry, I'll send you a, a one as well, so you don't have to rush <laughs> to, the, um, to, to your own page. Uh, cool. All right. Um, let's let's proceed to Q and A. Um, and uh, just quick reminder: do a quick introduction about yourself. No shilling and uh, <laughs> no hard shilling, I'd say. Uh, and just you know, ask your question. Uh, be concise. Only, only right. I'm allowed to do shilling here. <laughs> yes. Uh, or other teammates, uh, if you have anyone from. I think there are a few people from Vitex. Uh, I see their account is clapping. So if if you guys have. Any, any comments about what it's like to be working at VIT, uh, please come on stage as well. But yeah, go ahead and request the mic access uh, and uh, ask a question. All right. Um, we have a first person, good. Jasmine, Jasmine, Jasmine. Techie DJ, Bitcoiner, and Freedom Fighter. 
Hi, everyone. Um, Hi, Jasmine. Hey, I wanted to ask, Hi. how do I uh, get the POAP again? Can you repeat the steps? Uh, please go to uh, Vite Labs, sorry, BitLabs uh, company page on Crypto Jobs List. You, you might have to do a little bit of work to find it, um, but it's actually not that much work. We, we tweeted out the link to their page. And uh, there you'll have a claiming widget where you need to enter your email and Twitter and do make sure to follow both uh, BitLabs and, and Crypto Jobs List and we'll email you the, um, the link to claim POAP. Awesome. We have a limit. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we have a limited amount of them today. Uh, Pope uh, did not give them a, a lot of them, but we'll be able to claim more, I guess, in the coming uh, days or hours. All right. We have. Uh, is is it, oh, was that did, the only question? More questions? Yeah, I did. I did have a follow up question. So I, I yep. definitely wanted to ask um, the Vite team. So I wanted to ask, as a uh, as a new Web three company, what are some of the headwinds and obstacles that you guys experienced? Um, especially since, you know, you all may have competitors to my understanding, you all are, um, yeah, smart contract platform. So I just wanted to kind of see how do you guys navigate those obstacles and headwinds, uh, especially since the space is so new and it's growing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I would say, Hmm. So there, there's a lot of challenges. I would say the biggest one for us is in deciding how we're going to go about whether to be EVM compatible and how, whether to be EVM compatible and how to be EVM compatible. Uh, it's, um, it's a hard decision. So the, the, obviously there's pros and cons with becoming EVM compatible and there's different, there's shortcuts you can take to that and there's much arduous path that you can take. So, but I think ultimately you just kind of have to know why you're doing this. No one's forcing you to do this. You volunteer to be in this. So you need to identify the goals you want to achieve and work backwards as to the strategy, the philosophy, and then the, therefore the strategy that you want to, you want to follow to get there. So, I mean, I think this is a very abstract answer, but there's a lot of competition um, there's different ways for people to get around those competitions and um, I don't know maybe it's kind of a last man standing or last person standing sort of thing the uh, the bear market in 20 through 2018 and 2020 2018 through 2020 actually washed away a lot of competitors so we're still standing so I don't know so maybe just two things number one is um like you need to be serious about the technical challenges and be serious about the decisions they have to make for the trade-offs you will face. And then secondly, it's important to persist. I think that's general advice for any kind of startup out there is, is to persist. Persist and be adaptive. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Jasmine, for the question. Uh, all right, next up we have uh, Rob. Please unmute yourself. There is a button on the bottom left. Can you guys hear me? Hello? Yep. Hi there. Hi. Yes. Hey. Um, so I've uh, I've been working in um, finance uh, for the last five years, and I'm kind of new to the crypto space. Uh, I'm looking to um, transfer from 
you know, the traditional world into the Web3 world. And the competition just seems so fierce. So I'd like to hear like what you guys think and, and how you guys look at um, the value. Um, what do you guys look for when you're, when you're looking for uh, new people coming into the space? Cause it, it seems like the, you know, obviously it's very developer centric, obviously. Um, but some of the other roles like finance and stuff like that, they don't really have like a direct uh, transfer uh, I, I guess it would be more like in, in the DeFi and um, <clears throat> like uh, tokenomics and those different kind of models. But um, what would be your suggestion for somebody say like, uh, you know, me, I've been an accountant for the last seven years and uh, I'm, I'm looking to transition into the space. How would I go about doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm actually not aware that the competition is so fierce. I'm surprised to hear that because I would say there is indeed there are indeed a lot of people looking for the same jobs, but I don't think everyone's applying themselves equally as hard. Maybe that's the same everywhere. But I would say the number one thing to do is to get involved in the community of the projects that you're interested in. So when you identify a project that you think is promising, and maybe it's very hard at the beginning to know what's promising and what's not because the information can be overwhelming. The marketing can be, say, very, uh, very grandiose. And so, so it can be all very confusing. I would recommend that you say, pick one or two projects that you believe are somewhat solid, join their community. So go to their Discord and Telegram and just start doing things for them. There are many different ways to do things for them as a non-deaf person. You can say, answer questions in the community because there will always be newbies asking very simple questions. And if you just volunteer to answer questions for people, you'll get noticed. You can tweet for them. You can, if you're willing to do it, do a YouTube video for them, become an become a, let's say, a monitor of that project. So you don't have to be a strict shield, right? Not someone that only talks about the pros of the project and no cons of the project, but be like that guy, Dave Lee for Tesla. So he's a serious Tesla backholder, but you know he gets retweeted by Elon Musk all the time or he gets replied to by Elon Musk all the time because he's a big Tesla fan and, and Elon simp. But I would say a lot of his videos are objective in nature. He's not just shouting Tesla to the moon and Elon Scott. So I think those are all things that one can do from day zero. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of self-learning involved, meaning you will have to get read the documentation and you'll have to at least try to digest their white paper. There's also tons of explainers and videos out there, though, for any project. And generally, they already have a community, so they can probably help you in understanding things as well. I myself, once upon a time, have engaged in communities of different projects to learn about things. And I'm, you know, blown away by the amount of support provided by these different places. So I guess a good place to start with is to just join community and start doing things that are helpful to a project. 
I mean, so for Veet right now, our best recruits are from the community or people that have expressed strong interest in the projects at recruiting time. It's very obvious. And as I said earlier, we meet those people, we hold on to them. Now, separately, right now, in our Twitter and Telegram, we have people that have done the things I said. They volunteer and they try to do good for them, for us. They might not be a fit for what we're looking for. Sometimes people are not native English speakers. Sometimes their time zones don't line up with mine or our core teams. Um, or sometimes they're just very young, right? Young and immature. But, but we try to make room for them if they express interest in working with us full time. There will always be something to do for them. So the bottom line is, just repeating myself, it's important to get involved in the community and start doing things. This is a huge difference between this and the traditional finance world. I was working for huge investment banks once upon a time. The recruiting process is very restricted. They only look at certain target schools and they they generally are very closed in terms of the recruiting process. And um, it's the opposite here. You can start contributing from very early on. I like that. Uh, and when I said competition being fierce, I, I guess my assumption was, you know, a lot of uh, people like kind of like you said, uh, graduating from the Ivy League schools, working for the big Web2 companies, um, you know, it seems like they almost have first mover advantage um, coming over to the yeah. space. But... <clears throat> yeah, no, they don't. I, I can tell you right now, I mean, I have interviewed Ivy League school people and, you know, people that um, people people that, that don't do white collar job for a living. And I have found the latter to hustle hard, to have a good attitude, to not be beholden to the ways, the old ways of thinking and um, just generally more nimble. So nothing against Ivy League grads, right? But I'm just saying that that actually isn't necessarily an advantage. So I think the other thing I sh should mention is that a lot of projects are giving out money to do DAOs and to, for ambassador programs. I mean, these DAOs, like anyone can join them. And it's very obvious who's adding value or not from the get-go. So I, this is why I, um, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. So just start getting involved in the communities. All right. Um, yeah, I just wanted to add a few things. 100% uh, agree with what Richard said. Just, what, just to add to that is, um, like, first of all, I think there was a little bit of misconception that developer roles are like the only roles in a space. Uh, there is, uh, I mean, as, in addition to what men, uh, Richard mentioned, uh, there is um, also roles for people with finance background. Um, and uh, we actually had a conversation with someone who was doing BD for uh, DeFi protocol. Um, we talked to Alpaca Finance uh, and their BD guy, James, uh, that was back, I think, last year. We had this episode recorded. So you can like go uh, and look up uh, Work in Crypto uh, podcast on any of your podcasting apps. Um, or um, and there was a few other uh, conversations that we actually had on this Twitter space with Grow Protocol and they're very like 
the people who were I was talking to uh, there, uh, they are like non-technical uh, and they all from finance background. So, and I think the common advice there is that uh, just read as much as possible about token economics um, and about, you know, where yield is coming from, what are the different um, kind of latest achievements in token economic space out there, how do stable tokens achieve stabilization and just, you know, learn as much as you can about it. And uh, there's a lot of demand for this type of people. Like it's kind of BD role for DeFi protocols where you need to establish partnerships with other protocols and with other different platforms. And you need to kind of, you don't have to code, but you still need to have understanding of, you know, how the protocol works um, and uh, some basic understanding or maybe sometimes advanced understanding of uh, economics. Um, yeah, so uh, there's definitely a lot of opportunities out there for non-technical people. Uh, yeah, that and it, obviously in addition with all the marketing, meme generation, being meme lord, I think it's very under, a lot of people laugh at, about it, but it's actually, it's a, it's a huge uh, value add to any project out there if you're able to produce really good memes. Um, and I think a lot of people think that it's very trivial, but no, <laughs> making something that is really funny and that strikes a chord with the broader crypto community uh, is not as simple as you, as, as you may think. Um, yeah, so there's definitely a lot of opportunities just apply. Um, I think another thing that you, that you mentioned, uh, about fierce competition, uh, from what I've seen so far, uh, Ivy leagues, they're not necessarily jumping into the space as fast as, um, as you might think. Um, it's, it's, I think a lot of them still want to go work for, you know, whether it's if, if it's in finance, the big four, if it's in tech, they're going to go for like a big Silicon Valley listed companies because it's still kind of more stable, more structured. Uh, a lot of companies in, in crypto blockchain space, they're much more, um, it's much more chaotic uh, and much more risky. And um, um, so I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't be afraid that there is competition. Uh, just again, go ahead, apply to positions, uh, make sure you're, you're kind of representing yourself and your interests and your skills well, uh, and be persistent and again, contribute to projects. I think that's one of the, like one of the most important under, also under underestimated advices out there is that to like start contributing to a project before you're even hired. Uh, and, um, a lot of people are waiting for that permission and approval, like to you know, uh, and the side contract. But uh, I think one of the you know usually the best people are those who start contributing early. They are not necessarily asking for money first. They they want to show their value first, and then they see that okay, uh, if I'm being valuable, uh, they will get compensated. And from project standpoint of view, it's it's like a no brainer uh, if they see that someone is adding value. It's almost a no brainer. Like not, you know, it doesn't make sense not to pay them. Um, if they are consistently adding value and they're serious about it, um, there will always be, or sooner or later, there will be a rule um, to get that person on board. Yeah, um, hope that helps, Rob. Um, all right, uh, do you guys have more questions? Uh, yeah, Rob. Hey, Mm -hmm. Raman, I'm sorry. Uh, sure. it, it sounded like you dropped some real great uh, career alpha there. And uh, I, I missed all of it because uh, I don't know if it's my reception or your reception. It's probably mine. But hopefully I can pick it up on the recording because. Yeah, definitely. Like 
Yeah. The recording will be available both on, on Twitter. I'm not sure how long Twitter uh, keeps it live, but uh, we always export them into our kind of podcast feed and YouTube feed. So you can definitely go check it out once again. Uh, and we yeah, also... Roman, you were, you were skipping a little bit too earlier when you were talking. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I guess that was my end. Uh, but yeah, I hope it's, it's all going to be on, uh, on record. So please come back and listen to it. All right. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Uh, do we have more questions? We should have more questions. Please raise your hand. Uh, get asked for microphone access, and uh, you will be. We will get you an opportunity to speak. Or we will be wrapping up soon as well. Uh, how are you feeling, Richard? Is it uh, another five, ten minutes, twenty minutes? Yeah. Well, people know where to find me. I'm on Twitter, so you know my DM is open, and you know the job postings are on crypto jobs list, so people can mm -hmm. apply. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask uh, through those channels. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah also getting quite late on your time zone. So uh, yeah, let's let's just like wrap up. Uh, thanks so much once again uh, today. I think it was really insightful. I, I actually personally going to be <laughs> spending more time learning about uh, big chain and uh, see if I can build anything. And uh, I think I have a lot of homework to do in terms of adding all the features that you suggested. Um, but yeah, uh, everyone, uh, make sure to go check out BitLabs and their career page. If you know someone uh, who might be a great fit, uh, please refer them over to Richard. Um, and um, yeah, this has been great. Perfect. Thank you very much, Raman. And thanks, thanks for the great questions, everyone. Uh, awesome. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks, Jasmine, Rob. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining. All right. Take care. Speak soon. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.